0: You know, as I look at our world, I see what tends to be a very performance-driven existence. You look at children who work so hard to try to impress mom and dad by getting good grades or by excelling in sport. You have employees that try to work so hard to impress their impossible-to-please boss. You have husbands and wives that work so hard to try to earn the approval of their spouse. And I'm sure you can agree that on some level you've experienced what I'm talking about, that we live in a world that says, produce, produce, perform, earn approval. But the reality is that this world driving us to work to earn love or to earn approval is a result of this world being broken. When we're in heaven and all things are restored, you won't have to work to earn someone's love or approval. And the reason is that we have God in heaven who loves, and he loves you. And God's affections and delight in you is not based on your performance. You have to hear this and let this sink in deep into your soul. God's love for you is not based on your performance. I'm sure if we took time to share a story, some of you would would confess that you sometimes think to yourself, if only, if only I sinned a little bit less if only I worked for God a little bit more, then maybe He would love me. Maybe He would accept me. But the truth is, that's just not true. That's a lie from hell itself. You don't have to work to earn God's love. God loves you Because he loves you. God's affections for you are just there because he loves you. He is a good father. And he just wants you to be close to him. You don't have to earn his approval. You don't have to earn his love or your salvation. If you're a believer, you already have the love of God. You already have can know that God is pleased with you and you already have his approval and that you, yes, you with all of your stuff you bring God great joy you bring God pleasure and delight if God has a refrigerator then your picture is on it but you think, but what about my sin it's paid for in full but what about my guilt before god it's forgiven but what about what about my struggles my ongoing daily struggles defeated you think but what about what about this brokenness inside of me guaranteed promised healing and so based on the perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have hope. You can be forgiven, and you can be reconciled to God and enter into a relationship because your guilt has been removed, because it's been paid for. You can be one with God. As we discussed last week in John 14, you can be at one with God, at peace, because His Spirit is in you. You have union with God. So God does not ask you to earn His approval. All God asks of you is that you trust Him. That's it. All He asks is that you trust Him. All He says is that you place a complete faith in Him. And so your faith is not performance-based or driven, but your faith is focused on Person, And so our, our purpose for existing is found in a person to be encountered. And so this whole series that we, we wrap up today, we've been looking at individual conversations that Jesus had with people and how he has encountered the blind, the sick, the broken, the lame, the grieving, and he meets us in our life wherever we See, the purpose is for our lives is to have a relationship with God to be enjoyed. Which is why Jesus constantly told people, follow me. Follow me. And he continues today to call men and women and boys and girls. I love this. I love the third part of the month where we observe communion. And some of our children, 8 to 11-year-olds, the big kids. Are with us this morning. I love that because God is calling boys and girls as much as their moms and dads to hear the words of the Master who says, Come, follow me. Even children, He says, Come unto me, come and experience joy. And He is still calling you today, saying, Come, rest in me. He's saying, come, let me fill you. Come, let me deliver you from your slavery to sin. Come, let me heal you. Let me satisfy you. Come, find your purpose and your everything in me. Come, enjoy me. See, we were created to encounter Jesus. That's what we live for. That's why there's breath in your lungs. And so today we're going to meditate on John 21 where we see Jesus encountering Peter. This was after the resurrection. Jesus has already died, and he is now alive, and he encounters Peter. But let's get the context. In John 21, we read the first 14 verses. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called a twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, others were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast a the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on, put on his outer garment, for it was stripped from work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a 100 yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. And Brad and Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So after the resurrection, this is early morning, as the day is just breaking, it says, that Jesus went to the shore of the Sea of Tiberias. Now that is the same sea as the Sea of Galilee, just a different name. Tiberius was the largest city on the shore. So if you see, the Sea of Tiberius is the same as the Sea of Galilee. Now they're fishing all night, and they caught nothing. Jesus is on the shore, 100 yards away, he's on the beach, and he asks, "Have you caught any fish?" And they say, "No, nothing." And he says, "Well, put the net back in on the right side, and they obey, and sure enough, they have this huge catch. So many fish that that the nets, by God's miracle, by grace, did not break. And they couldn't even haul it into the boat. And they have to drag it back. John cries out, it is the Lord. It's like, that's Jesus there on the shore. Now, Peter acting like, well, Peter, who was a typical, you know, act first, think second kind of person. He just jumps in the water. I can imagine that probably he got to the shore the same time that the boat got there and they thought, good one, Peter. Um, But he was just so excited. He was so anxious and he just wanted to go see Jesus. He just jumps in and he he gets to the shore and they all get there and they see that he was already cooking breakfast. He already had the charcoals going. He had a braai. Actually not because braai, you would not actually do fish. It has to be beef. But, But also he wasn't South African. He was Jewish and so I'm sorry. But what you have here is he's cooking for them, and they're having this fellowship. But there's this awkwardness. You can just imagine the awkward silence of Jesus must have somewhat looked a little bit different from before because they're thinking this is Jesus, but they're not, they're not saying much, but they're there in his presence. And then the rest of chapter 21 describes this powerful encounter where Jesus takes Peter aside and has a conversation with him. Now, to understand exactly what's happening in this conversation that we are read about here in just a second, we need to know the context. In chapter 13 of John, what you have is Jesus in the upper room. He washes the disciples' feet. He institutes communion. They're, they're, They're having the Passover meal, and Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go away, and you can't follow me. And they're all troubled, obviously, like we saw this last week. So in this conversation, Peter says, I, I, I will follow you. And so here's what he says, and it's chapter 13. Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you'll follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you. The rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. He says, really? Are you sure that you're going to die for me, Peter? Tonight, you'll deny you even know me. And sure enough, chapter 18 describes Jesus already having been arrested. He's out in the court of the high priest in this kangaroo court where he's being falsely accused at night. No less, which was against the law to have a trial at night. He's being questioned, and Peter is outside watching this unfold, and Peter is scared. I mean, I'm talking he is just terrified because we looked at this when they were heading back to Jerusalem two weeks ago, and you remember what they said, let us go die with him. So they knew Peter was not dumb. He was aware of what's going on. Jesus is being questioned by the authorities. He's going to be convicted, and he's going to be killed. And Peter is very afraid. And others around him saying, oh, you're you're one of his followers, aren't you? And he's like, nope, not me. I've never seen Jesus before. I don't know him. Three times he denies knowing Jesus. When just hours earlier he said, I'll die for you. He denied him. Have you ever felt like a failure? Have you ever experienced a situation in your life where you just really blew it? Where you think, man, I should have known better. Or actually, I did know better. And I still went ahead and did whatever it is that I did. And now it's a mess. I've made a mess of my life. I've made a mess of this relationship, the situation. And you just look in the mirror and you just, you just feel like you're such a failure. Peter understood that. Peter understood what it meant to be a failure. And yet, what we have in this encounter that we'll read here in just a moment is Jesus encounters you and me, much like Peter, in the middle of our failure. And he looks at you today, and he loves you. And he's calling you by name, saying, come, follow me in the middle of your failures. And let's read how he does that. John 21, this completes this chapter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death, So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. But Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is a disciple who was bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Powerful. It's just an incredible text that the Spirit inspired John to write. Let me give you the primary truth. This is, this is the main idea of this passage, is that Jesus revealed what it means to follow him. He's revealing, he's telling you and me today what it means to follow him. See, God created you to follow Jesus. That's why you exist. You see, deep inside of every one of us, in our hearts, God has planted a desire. There's this driving force that's in us. And you know what it is? Simply, to be amazed we just sung, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus of the Nazarene. And, and we sung, I Stand, I Stand in Awe of You. You see, these songs are capturing this in such simple language, what is so profound that you and I have been created to be in awe, to be amazed. And every one of us wants it, we all crave it. And that's the reason why God created us with the ability to taste. You see, with our tongues, just think about this. Just stop for a second. Think what your tongue can do. It can taste salty but sweet. It can taste smooth versus rough, creamy. I mean, there's textures. Your, your tongue, when you taste something good and the flavor just explodes in your mouth and you just can't help but smile, I mean, that is remarkable that we can do that. Animals don't do it. They just inhale their food, swallow their food, but not humans. Humans taste, and we love it, and, and we take time to enjoy food. And God has made us to taste for a reason. It's why our ears and our brain can discern the difference between irritating noise and great music. It's still sound, but there's a difference. And we desire to hear good music. And we're drawn to it. But irritating noises we are repulsed by. Why? There's there's also a reason why our eyes can see something and say, oh, this is just a collection of protons and neutrons. It's just something to see. No, it's not. Some things are beautiful and some things are not. And our eyes can recognize beauty, and we desire it, and we want to see more of it, and delight in it, and enjoy it, and be around it. It's the reason why women want romance. Husbands, you, you need to know this. Your wife wants to be romanced, because she wants to be in awe. She wants to be amazed. She, she wants to have her mind blown. She's a human. She was made. She was hardwired this way. And so they naturally crave romance because that's the way God made women. It's good. This is not a bad thing, guys. But it's the reason why guys love sport because they want to be good at it and improve. And it's why guys get into a, a cage and fight each other. You're like, why, why would they do that? Well, because it's fun. It is. It's crazy. But it's an enjoyable thing where you can improve and, and you can be amazed at what you can learn to do. I mean, this is just the way God made us. We stand in awe of things and we crave more of it. We want to be amazed. And so in the ultimate sense, God made this world awesome, Amazing, so that we can see it and be in awe of him, the creator. And so there is nothing sweeter than tasting the goodness of Jesus. There is no greater sound than Jesus calling your name and saying, I love you, come, follow me. And there is nothing more beautiful that you could gaze upon than the glory of Jesus. And so he's given us our senses so that we can understand his glory. And there is nothing more glorious in responding to the call to follow Jesus. Our souls will only be satisfied by knowing Jesus. And so you were made, created, designed to follow him. What does this mean from this text here? What, what, what does this mean that we were made to follow Jesus? There are four truths here. And for each one, there's a key word to help you remember this. This is important for our following Jesus on a daily basis. The first truth from this text, following Jesus means, number one, loving the Lord. He was called here the Lord by Peter and John. They're calling Jesus Lord and so, loving the Lord, that's what it means to follow Jesus. And so, here's a key word for that, master. Loving the master. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So, Peter asked three times, or Peter was asked, rather, three times, do you love me? And so, Jesus here is asking for Peter's affections, his loyalty, his devotion, his love. And so, following Jesus means that you deeply love the master. And so, to be a Christian is to be a disciple. That's what it is. You're following Jesus. A disciple is, by definition, a disciple is a lifelong, committed learner and follower of Jesus. So, if you are a believer, you are a disciple of Jesus. But some people just have this casual cultural Christianity, but are not Actually, following Jesus, don't actually know the Master. They don't love the Master. So, a disciple loves Jesus. A true believer has been spiritually resurrected, so was dead, is now alive, has the new birth, is therefore indwelt by the Spirit of God, receives a fundamental new nature that now loves God, has tasted. The mercy of God has tasted the love of God, has experienced this overwhelming mercy. And so someone who is a believer is very aware of how much they have sinned against God, and yet how much God loves them. And we just respond to Christ's work on the cross and all of this love with loving him back. So he loves us. First. And so every time that you say, I love you, Jesus, understand what you're actually saying. You're saying, I love you too, because he said it 1st He's being very clear here in John 21 that he is calling us to have our affections to love him. And he says, do you love me more than these? Now, full disclosure here, I don't exactly know who these are. Because Jesus wasn't very clear. We don't, we don't know. Jesus could have been saying, do you live more than these? He could have been pointing to the fish. Do you love more than this catch, these fish? As in, do you love me more than your profession? Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than your identity that you get from having a profession? Do you love me more than the financial gain from this big catch? So do you love me more than material possessions? And and so the fish can represent a lot, from profession to financial gain. So Jesus could have meant, do you love me more than that? It's possible. But Jesus could have been pointing to the disciples, do you love me more than these men? And so do you love me more than other people? So Jesus could have been asking, do you love me more than other humans? Or do you have other people that you love more than me? Your wife, your husband, your children, whomever. That you put on a pedestal and that you actually love other people more than you love Jesus. So he could have meant that. Don't know exactly what he was referring to, but I believe that he likely meant both. Very likely. That Jesus is saying that he demands loyalty, all of our affections, and to love more than these, whatever these things are in all of life that are created. Do you love me more this is important for us to consider do we love him more he doesn't even apologize he just demands that we love him he says you need to love me more than anything or anyone else why why does jesus demand that we have our affections wrapped up in him well one because he's worthy he alone is God. He alone is worthy of our affections. But secondly, because it will satisfy us. It's good for us. When we love him more, it will be a blessing for us. And this all goes back to, we are talking earlier about being hardwired for all, being hardwired, made to stand amazed. We need to be more amazed, more in awe of Jesus than anything else in this world. And so let me give you some questions to consider, is Jesus your primary treasure, or really do we just say that on a Friday morning, but really our treasure is elsewhere? The question for you is, where do you experience the greatest moments of happiness in your life? Or I could ask the opposite. Where do you experience the greatest moments of of sadness? What causes you to be angry? This is a really good question. What makes you mad? Because if you're angry because God's kingdom is not being advanced, if you're angry because it's a righteous thing, well, that's okay. But usually our anger is because our kingdom is not being advanced because we're not getting our way, and we want to get our way. And so we fight, and we get angry. Because things aren't going the way we want them to do. And so we want to control people, manipulate them, or or situations to get our way. And so what causes you to be angry? What about disappointment? What causes you to just feel crushed with disappointment? What motivates you to keep going? Or what, what causes you to want to just quit and just give up? What do you tend to envy in the lives of other people? What makes you feel as though life is worth living? Or if you don't get something blank, whatever that is, if, this, if you never get that, will your life feel worthless or not worth living anymore? These are all important questions for us to really ponder because it will help us see what we really treasure and love the most. So being a disciple of Jesus means that we are overwhelmed by his love and that we respond with a heart that loves him and is satisfied in him more than these, whatever the world has to offer. If you have ever found yourself wanting to find your joy, purpose, in the things of this world, What I can tell you, personal experience, this is an ongoing battle for all of us to see more beauty, more glory in Jesus than anything else. You know what happens when we're not loving Jesus more? Disappointment. That's what happens to us. When you expect your wife, husband, money, job, comfort, vacations, whatever, to fill you, to give you purpose, that's your greatest love, it will every single time let you down. Your husband, your wife will let you down every time because they're not Jesus. You weren't made to follow him or her. You're made to follow Jesus. And so what happens is it'll just lead to this continual disappointment with life and it's just not going to satisfy. Jesus says, follow me, love me more than these and so following Jesus means loving the Lord, which is having a master. Number two, following Jesus means forgiveness after failure. It means forgiveness after failure. The key word here is mercy. Those of us who are following Jesus have received mercy. You see, Jesus denied, or I'm sorry, Peter denied Jesus three times. He denied him. And Jesus here. Three times is giving him the chance to be restored to show Peter, I still love you. Do you love me? And this is a blessing for Peter being reinstated and the broken friendship is being restored. And so your being loved by Jesus does not depend upon your performance. Peter performed very poorly and Jesus still loved him. And so being a disciple of Jesus means that you have received the mercy of God that we're overwhelmed by our sin. We realize our sin, and we know Jesus died on the cross for us, and we run to him and receive his mercy. And so following Jesus is the battle to believe the truth every day. Believe the truth of what? That you are forgiven, that you stand justified before God, that you are loved by God. You have to believe this truth every day. Being a follower of Jesus, are you going to fail? Yeah, of course you will fail. Does Jesus still love you? Absolutely. He still loves you. So how do you respond to this forgiveness after failure? Well, you receive his forgiveness. You praise God for it. And you, you rest in this sovereignty of Jesus. Like Peter says, you know, Lord. I know that I failed, but you know all things I'm just resting in you who are sovereign enough to save a sinner like me. And when we are resting in his sovereignty and knowing that we are forgiven, you know what that is for your soul? It's fuel. Well, fuel for what? To do the impossible. It fuels you to to do whatever it is that you're facing, overcoming that addiction, having that friendship restored, your marriage healed, whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with, whatever is before you that you think, I can't do this. When you are resting in a God who shows you mercy and who loves you and empowers you, it gives you fuel, spiritual power to go and do what you think is impossible. So whatever you're facing today, you can face it. Because God has mercy because you have been forgiven even after your failure. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Not perfection. No. Recipients of mercy. Number three, following Jesus means serving sacrificially. So it's loving the Lord, forgiveness after failure, and serving sacrificially. You see, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes. And so then Jesus says something. If you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, tend my sheep. And if you love me, feed my sheep. And so Jesus is saying, your love for me is observable. It's identifiable. You can see it in action. Love is a verb. It results in action. So, if you say you love someone and you never serve them, you have to ask the question do you actually love that person? Jesus says, if you love me, then this is what it looks like. This is the natural overflow. And it's going to cost Peter everything suffer, be crucified. And yet he says, serve me. And he mentions lamb. So, this is new believers. Those that are young in their faith, feed them, care for them. He mentions sheep. Those are more mature. That's a grown-up sheep. And so it's both. And so we have to care for young believers as well as seasoned saints, both alike, lambs and sheep. So what is a key word here to remember? It's mission. This is the mission that Jesus is giving to us. We have received this mercy for a mission. Our church exists to glorify God by making and developing disciples, both lamb and sheep. So we want to see new believers make new disciples and yet develop them to reach maturity. And so we want to glorify God by making and developing disciples. And so we're called to serve the church, but also serve the world. And so you ought to be on mission so that we can have new lambs that we can then feed. And so we need to be telling people who don't know Jesus about the forgiveness, the joy that's available to them in Christ. They need to know, and we need to tell them. And then when they come in, we feed them, and and we bring them up to maturity. And so that involves serving the church. So it's not either or, it's both and, serve the church and serve the world. And so serving the church... You've been hearing us talking about this for the last few weeks, and then I sent out a letter to our members and attenders this week on how it is joy to serve Jesus. It's an act of worship when we serve him. And so if you're a believer, we're called to serve. If you're a believer, you're a missionary. Let's just make that clear. If you're a believer, you are already a missionary. And so we use our influence in the world, but we also help to build up the body. So are you engaged? Are you, are you serving in the church? If you're not, you are missing out. And being part of a church is not just what you get, it's also what you give. It's both and. And so you're, you are missing out on the pleasure of God. And what it means to follow Jesus is to be on mission to serve sacrificially. Let's just be clear here. We don't serve to earn God's favor. We don't serve to earn it, so that God will love you. You serve because you have already been loved. You already have that relationship. So out of joy and gratitude to express your love, we serve. So we're experiencing that joy of serving. If not, well, what are you waiting for? Number four, as we wrap up, following Jesus means being sustained through suffering being sustained through suffering. Verses 18 and 19, Jesus tells Peter that he would die by having his hands stretched out. He'd be crucified. And church history confirms that indeed Peter was crucified. Now, some legends say that he was crucified upside down. We don't know that, but he definitely was crucified. So after Jesus restores the broken relationship, do you realize that Jesus tells Peter Okay, you, you denied me, I love you, we're restored, now come follow me, and you're going to suffer and be tortured and be crucified. Come follow me. Are you serious? Like, who on this planet would ever say to anyone, come follow me, and it's going to go very badly for you. You're going to get beaten and imprisoned and tortured and crucified. Come follow me anyway with no apology. Love me. Worship me. Follow me. Suffer for me. With no, I'm sorry, Peter's going to be tough, but, you know, if you don't mind, can you kind of come? No. No apology. Just demands, come follow me, even if it means crucifixion. Why? Why does Jesus speak like this? Because Jesus knows that he is worth it he's worth it, whatever the cost, he's worth it, the key word here is motivation, what is your motivation to be sustained through this suffering, the motivation is, you get Jesus, you get to be with him for eternity, and what is that in light of suffering, for a few years on this side of heaven, we have a great motivation, and it is not more possessions, it is more of Jesus and His presence. And only being motivated by having more of Jesus is what's going to motivate you to live a life of sacrifice, a life of growth, and personal holiness and obedience, a life of, of mission. Only being sustained through His Spirit, only Jesus, the motivation, will sustain you this so what does it mean to follow jesus it means loving the lord having a master it means forgiveness after failure mercy it also means mission so sacrificial serving it also means right motivation as we're being sustained even through suffering this is what it means to follow jesus and by god's grace i pray and i desire to be all in are you Let's pray. Father, we thank you for we know that you are good and we are so undeserving, but we praise you today for your word that is as encouraging as it is challenging. I pray that we would truly follow your son and in so doing, find our purpose for existing and find true joy and meaning. I pray that you would bless this time now as we observe communion, that we would be gripped through your spirit And through this symbol, that we would be led to further desire you. Follow your son. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.